Hello, and welcome to the Clearfort Community Church Podcast. Our hope with this podcast is that you would be encouraged by the weekly teaching from God's Word, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. To learn more about Clearfort Community Church, go to clearfortchurch.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Clearfort Church. Now, let's jump into this week's message. Good morning. Hey, we got a full crowd here. Look around. Look around. Merry Christmas to you. Everybody good? All right. Hey, you got to be good. You're about to go home and open up a lot of loot tonight. You're, men, you're going to get some new socks, you're gonna get some new clothing, and get a lot of new shirts. My family was super uh, generous to this uh, year, and I got a lot of good stuff. So uh, we're glad you're here. A lot of fun uh, this Christmas season. It's been a great time to be together uh, as a church family. And so thank you all for uh, being here on this Christmas Eve, our first Christmas Eve as, as a church family. So on January the 7th, we're going to start a new series called The Journey. And I just want to preview that real quick because I want you to be a part of that. Because as, when I joined a church, when I came to know Christ, I was 11 years old, I didn't really know, hey, where are we going with this thing? Where does this thing end? Where, where am I called to go? And most churches don't do a great job of kind of directing people and pointing to how we can grow as believers. So that's what we're going to do starting January 7th. We will not meet next Sunday, as Matt said, but on January the 7th, we're going we're gonna to take a journey together, and I'm looking forward to that as well. So uh, this Christmas season has been fantastic for a, a lot of reasons. But we've been walking through Advent, and we've been talking about what Advent means, that it means that it's looking forward to the first coming of Christ, which we'll celebrate tomorrow on Christmas, right, the birth of Jesus, but it's also looking forward to his second coming. And so that's what Advent is. It is all of us living in expectation of the coming Christ. And so we're glad you're here to celebrate that with us. So... um, a little bit of a background, so we're in Isaiah. If you would, uh, grab your scripture sheets, have those in front of you. We're going to jump in. I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there this morning, so uh, we're going to jump in. In Isaiah, we talked about Isaiah. Isaiah is writing 700 years before the birth of Christ. So he is writing in the midst of a, a very uh, tumultuous time, a time of chaos amongst the Jewish people. They are living in exile. Some are living uh, in exile in Babylon and some in Assyria, Assyria first, then Babylon. And they're living in a difficult time. And he is writing in the midst of that and he's saying, he's, he's predicting and he's looking forward to the coming Messiah. And so there are 25 different uh, Messiah, uh, Messianic prophecies in the book of Isaiah, looking forward to, and by the way, do y'all know that we found in 1947, some shepherds were just out uh, keeping their sheep. They looked into a cave, they threw some rocks in there, they heard something break, and they found 2,200, 2,300-year-old scrolls called the Dead Sea Scrolls, and within the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have the full book of Isaiah, written and and is dated two to three hundred years before the birth of Christ. So all these things that people have been reading about and saying, oh, maybe that came after Christ was born. No, we've got documentation, living documents that we have before us prophesying about the coming Christ. And so this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, I've said this every week, has partial fulfillment 
in the birth of Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah, but it has a future fulfillment in the coming of Christ, the suffering servant, Jesus, who we celebrate, and then ultimate fulfillment in the second coming of Christ. And so let's look together in Isaiah chapter 9. This is one of the greatest messianic prophecies in the Old Testament, pointing us to the coming of Christ. And so Isaiah chapter 9, follow along with me. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoils. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trapping warrior, tramping warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Would you pray with me? As we prepare to unpack the Word of God this morning, would you just prepare your heart? It's Christmas, a lot going on, a lot of things on your mind. But there's a message here this morning that that we all need. So we just ask the Lord to speak to your heart. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week I told you the story of Gerda Wiseman and Kurt Klein. Uh, Gerda Wiseman was 15 years old when the Nazis rolled into Poland. They took her captive, and they, uh, she was in captivity for almost six years. They took her on a thousand-mile march, which many of the women passed away. And she described last week, I played a little video, she described as the jeep came up the hill to an old abandoned factory with her and about 250 other women. And she saw that Jeep coming up the hill, and she saw a star on the front of that Jeep instead of a swastika. And she said two men jumped out of the Jeep, and they came up to her, and and they addressed her as lady. She said, that was an address I hadn't heard in six years. And she asked, uh, Kurt Klein asked her, where are the other ladies, and would you show them to me? And so they went into the factory, and she points out, in the midst of all this going on in her world, that Kurt Klein held the door for her. And she said that was the first time that dignity and humanity was returned to me. I didn't tell you this part by mistake, but it worked in for today. Kurt Klein stayed with Gerda Wiseman all through her recovery. He finished up his term as he was about to come back to the United States he asked Gerda Wiseman to marry her, uh, marry him in uh, April of 1946, and they were, they were married in June of 1946. They were married for 50 years. Now, that's a love story, right? 
Can you imagine the joy of Gerda Wiseman, those other women, as they, they saw these, these people that are coming to release them from captivity. Can you imagine Christmas of 1945 as many of those soldiers have been overseas and fighting and been over there for many years and they're now all coming home for Christmas. Can you imagine the celebration, the joy, overjoyed at what was happening, the exuberance of what was happening in Christmas 1945? You see, that's what Isaiah is describing here. He's describing to the Jewish people, there is a time coming. The Savior is coming. He is going to release us from deep gloom. And some of you are here this morning. And Christmas is not all that you had hoped it would be. Christmas, in fact, is a reminder of some heartache and some pain. And there's some, some uh, deep sadness around this time. For many of us others, that Christmas is not so much the part, but, but you're living under deep gloom. Look with me in verse 2. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Is that what you need this morning? Do we need the light of a Savior that's coming for us, that's going to lead us out of captivity, It's going to lead us out of depression, lead us out of the sadness, lead us out of the things that we're in? So I want to ask you, when did VJ Day, VJ Day was September 2nd, 1945, and all those soldiers began to come home, this celebration, there's some pictures, let's put those pictures back on, the, that's, those are some pictures of 1945, of the celebration of VJ Day on September 2nd, 1945. Do y'all know when VS Day is? Victory over sin and death. When was that day? That day was the day that Christ was born, right? There was a time when Christ came into the, into the world. His death, his burial, his resurrection gave us new life. In fact, it gave us the opportunity to have victory over death and sin. There's a term in theological terms called the already but not yet. Okay, the already but not yet. Christ came, he set us free from sin and death, but that is a voluntary, we're voluntarily putting ourselves under the government of Christ. But later... When he comes back again, he's going to come back and the government is going to be upon his shoulders. Look with me in verse 5 here. For every boot, look at verse 6 actually. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. So for you and I that are in between the two mountains looking forward to the second coming of Christ, right now you and I have a choice. We have a choice if we want to put ourselves under the government of Christ, under his control, under his governmenting power, governmental power in our lives. But one day when he comes again, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Can you kind of hear the hallelujah chorus when Christ comes back again? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody join me here. I wish I could sing. <laughs> he is king of kings and lord of lords, right? That, that high note is the second coming of Christ. That's what Handel is, is expressing through song when he comes back again and all of the world recognizes him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. At that time, it will not be voluntary. He will, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord of all. Do you long for that day? I long for that day. But in between those times, we have a choice. 
And we can say to Christ, hey, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to govern my life. I want you to be in control of my life. Or we can give him the Heisman, right? We can stiff arm the Lord and say, hey, I want to be in control of my life. I don't want to turn my life over to you and give you control. But if we do, and that's why you're here this morning, I pray that's why you're here, is that you want to give control of your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do, the government, the government of your life is now upon the shoulders of Christ the King. And when you put your life on the shoulders of Christ the King, there are four gifts that he gives you. And I've got them represented over here. Four gifts. And we're going to talk about four things very quickly. The first gift that he gives us is that he is a wonderful counselor. The second gift is that he is a mighty God. The third gift is that he is everlasting father. And the fourth gift is that he is the prince of peace. Those are the gifts that he gives us. I want to unpack, number one, the wonderful counselor. Let me ask you, if you were in the middle of of marriage problems and someone said to you, hey, I've got a wonderful counselor. I've got a wonderful counselor that my wife and I have been going to. And man, she has done wonders for our marriage. It's amazing how different our marriage is now as a result of seeing this marriage counselor. What if you're in the midst of financial troubles and someone says, man, I've got a great financial counselor and he or she is fantastic with numbers. They're able to help you. And I can't tell you how much it's meant in my life as I've submitted to the authority of this financial counselor, whatever kind of counsel you need, Christ is the wonderful counselor. What does a counselor do when you go in and you sit down with a counselor? And it used to be in the old days, you laid down on a couch, right? You get real relaxed and you just pour out your whole life to this counselor. And they spend three, four, five sessions just getting to know you and understanding your story, understanding where you've come from and the things that you've been through. But you know what? Jesus, the wonderful counselor, he knows you already. Why? Because he knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you together. So he knows everything about you, good, bad, and ugly. And so when you go to the wonderful counselor and you submit your life to him and he gives you feedback, you can know that he's leading you into all truth. That's what counselors should do. A good counselor should do is lead you into the truth. Look with me in the scripture here. The scripture, John 16, 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And then in John 8, 31 and 32, it says to the Jews, who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John chapter eight, a good counselor, a wonderful counselor. When you go see a wonderful counselor, they don't just tell you what you want to hear. A wonderful counselor gently, lovingly, in a very peaceful way leads you into truth. And when you begin to see the truth, the scripture says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Anybody here experience that? 
Once you understand the truth about yourself, about the world, about things that are going on, then it sets you free. And so when you submit yourself to the wonderful counselor, he does wonderful work. Have you put your life in the hands of Christ? Have you put your life completely under the government of Jesus himself? When you do, you get the wonderful counselor as a part of that. And he leads you into all truth. But not only is he a wonderful counselor, he is a mighty God. He's a mighty God. A God who is able to do something. When you go to a counselor, right? You go to the counselor and you pour out your heart to the counselor and they lead you to the truth and then you're kind of left there. What can they do besides lead you to the truth? They can be compassionate and loving and help you walk through it, but they don't have the power to change the situation within you. They've got to give you the tools and then you've got to put that in place, right? But you know what? The wonderful counselor leads you to that place. And then it says, then he's a mighty God. He's a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or imagine. And so when you come to the truth in your marriage, in your relationship, in your own personal life, whatever it might be, then you come to God and say, God, you're a mighty God. And you're able to do in me what I cannot do myself. You see, that's the good news, right? That's the gospel is that Jesus is, has the power to change those things on the inside of you that you are unable to change yourself. Do you believe that? Otherwise, we're hopeless, right? We're just led to the truth, and then you sit in the truth, and you go, hey, this is the truth about my life, but what am I going to do about it? You come to the truth, and then you come to, to Christ as mighty God who's able to change those things on the inside of you. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine. Not only is he a wonderful counselor, he's a mighty God, but he's an everlasting father. Do you see how the first two are combined into the third one? He's an everlasting father. He's a wonderful counselor. Counselors somewhat are, are distant. Uh, that would be the, the kind of the, the way you would look at a counselor, kind of distance. They're not your best friends. They're people you know, but they don't, they, you didn't grow up with them. You don't know them, right? A wonderful counselor, a mighty God, certainly a mighty God, but the, the, the view we have of mighty God is he's way up there, and yes, he's all-powerful, but he's a long way away from me, and, and it just doesn't feel like a relationship with mighty God, right? But then he goes on and says, Jesus is an everlasting father. Do you see the, the metaphor, the name that's given to Jesus? He is the ever, not, not being confused with him in the Trinity. He's not the God the Father. He is a characteristic of the everlasting Father who loves you, who wants to be with you, who wants to lead and guide you, who wants the best for you. Now, I know some of you in this room, when you think about Father, man, it's not always a great picture, right? Man, if, if God's anything like my Father, I don't know that I really want that, right? Most of us in this room, though, have a, a picture in their mind. You have something in mind where you say, hey, this is what a father should be. This is what a father could be. This is the father I want to be. I'm not always that father, but there's the father that I want to be. That dream in your mind, multiply that by 100, and that's who Jesus is in your life. Do you see him that way? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Our Father, it's Daddy, it's, it's I can come to Him. 
and I can trust him. And he's going to walk with me because he cares about me. He knows me. I tell my kids all the time, I've known you since you were in diapers. I've known you the whole time. I've known you since we brought you home from the hospital. And and it's kind of weird to think about that, right? As as a kid, you're like, "My, my parents have known me since the beginning. That's how God knows you. And he cares about you more than your own earthly father or mother ever could. John Eldridge, in his book called Fathered by God, he writes about the fatherless generation, specifically of men, but I think this would apply to women. And he tells a story about being uh, wanting to fix his sprinkler system. Someone came to him and said his sprinkler system had had a crack in it. He said, hey, I'm going to fix that myself. And he went out there and tried to mess with it, and he made it worse, made, made the crack even worse. He goes to the hardware store. He feels inadequate. He goes and talks to someone at the hardware store, and, and he just can't get it right. And he makes the situation worse. It's going to cost him a lot more money now that he worked on it than it would have before. And, and he just says these words. This is what he said. I'll tell you why I was hacked. I was, I was so angry, he said. There were two reasons. First, I'm hacked because there's no one here to show me how to do this. Why do I always have to figure this stuff out on my own? He said, I'm also hacked because I can't do it myself. I'm hacked because no one's here to show me how to do it. And then I'm mad because I can't do it by myself. I need help. Long ago, I resolved to live without needing help. Vowed to figure things out on my own. And he goes on, he says, I know this was a lot to get out of this failed attempt. So he, he kind of evaluates what's going on inside of me. What's going on? Why am I so angry about this? And he says, I know this was a lot to get out of the failed attempt to fix my sprinklers. But it could have been a dozen other situations. Doing my taxes, talking to my 16-year-old son about dating, buying a car, buying a house, making a career move. Any trial where I am called upon to play the man but immediately feel that nagging, this nagging sense of, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm alone in this. It's all up to me to figure this out. Men, you ever felt that way? Ladies, have you ever felt that way? Many times it's because we've never submitted our lives to the governing authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times it's because we don't really look to him as an everlasting father. Listen, do you believe that God leads and guides his people? Do you believe that he can speak to you about mundane things? Do you think he can lead and guide you through this life, through all the things that you're going through, like an everlasting earthly father who cares about you and wants to be there with you? That's the kind of God we have. That is why we've entitled this sermon series, God With Us, because most of us don't really believe that Jesus is that kind of intimate Savior for us. He's the everlasting father. The last thing is that he is the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. And he brings peace in our life. He brings peace with nature. Notice when Jesus came, it says in Revelation that he is going, the lion is going to lay down with the lamb, that he's going to bring peace of all people. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men, right, that we celebrate during Christmas. He's going to bring peace with nature. He's going to bring peace with other people. The Lord Jesus brings peace with our our friends, our family, and so forth. But he also brings peace with yourself. Philippians 4, 6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
Present your request to God. God can bring peace in your own life. In the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the challenges that you're walking through, he can bring an inner peace that transcends all understanding. So he brings peace not only with nature, not only with with other people, but a peace within yourself. But finally, Jesus brings peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace this morning? Do you know that you can live at peace with God? That if you know Christ this morning, if you've accepted him as the governor of your life, as the Lord of your life, and you've made that transaction with the Lord, then you are at peace with God. Not based on your performance, not based on what you can do, not based on the ways that you can please God in terms of the things that you can do, but you're at peace with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me. It began at his birth in Bethlehem, but it was on Golgotha's cross that he brought peace for you and for me, that you and I can live in peace with God. Isn't that good news? That's good news that we live at peace. He is, the four gifts this morning, a wonderful counselor. Do you know him as wonderful counselor? Are you willing to go to him? Are you willing to submit to him? Are you willing to pour out your heart to him and let him lead you into all truth? Once he leads you into all truth, are you willing to come back to him as mighty God and say, God, you've led me into the truth of this situation. I realize what I've got to do, but I can't do it. Just like John Eldridge, I can't make this happen. I can't make this sin go away. I can't make this thought go away. I can't make this sickness go away. I need you, mighty God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father coming before him and saying, God, you're the only one that can fix this. And I know you as my daddy. I know you as my father. And I trust you. Would you bring peace in my life? Would you pray with me? I wanted to shorten up the sermon a little bit this morning as we prepare to light the, the Christ candle. And I pray that this will be more than just an exercise and something you've done at Christmas Eve services in the past, but I pray that as we light the Christ candle that you truly would know him this morning is a wonderful counselor. That you would receive him as wonderful counselor. That you would receive him as mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Would you pray that right now? Would you say, God, I want to know you as my counselor? that I can come to you with anything and everything that I have and that I can trust you. And then second, would you trust him with whatever you're going through right now? Would you, would you put that before him and say, God, you're able to do? Would you trust him with the challenges?
and then receiving him as an everlasting father that cares for you and knows you intimately and has known you your whole life. And finally, as the Prince of Peace. Scripture we read this morning said, those who were in darkness have seen a great light. That light is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's hope. So as we light these candles, I hope everybody has a candle. If you don't, let's, let's get one. And as the, uh, as the light is passed to you, Symbolically, would you receive Christ as governor of your life, the light of the, the world? And as you pass this light to the next person, would you just say to the person next to you as you light their candle, He is the light of the world. stand together let's sing together worship goes beyond singing and it's just not about singing a song it's when you really have experienced Christ as, as your wonderful counselor when you go to him with a broken heart and he leads you into all truth you begin to realize oh God he, he's, he's unraveled me but he knows me and he loves me and then you go to him as mighty God and he begins to lead you out of the difficult situation you're in and you, you feel that sense of he's come to get me He's come to lead me out of this. He's come. He has victory over this. And then you know him as everlasting father and you see his tender mercy towards you because he knows you and he's known you since the beginning. And then he brings a sense of peace. When you really understand and know him that way, worship goes to a whole different level. It's not just singing songs. It's truly saying, God, you have done a wonderful thing in my life. That's my prayer for you this Christmas season. My prayer for you is that, that it won't just be about opening presents, even just about being with friends, but I pray that you would know him. 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of peace. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks so much for listening to the Clear Fork Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, head to clearforkchurch.org. Take heart, Fort Worth. He has overcome the world. We hope to see you soon.